you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to episode 98 with my guest, Ed Krasnick. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, 90 minutes of honesty about all the battles in our heads. From medically diagnosed conditions and past traumas to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room filled with conversations you've always wanted to have, but didn't really know how to start. Or maybe you were too embarrassed. Maybe you were too drunk. <laughs> it's gone off the rails already. <laughs> The website for this show is mentalpod.com. That's also the Twitter name you can follow me at. Um, go to the website. Join the forum. A lot of people connecting to each other on the uh, on the forum. And uh, that's a really cool thing. There's other stuff on the website that I can't think of right now. But there's, uh, oh, there's blogs that you can read that I've written, that other people have written. Um, and there's a bunch of surveys. There's probably eight different surveys you can take. And you can also see how other people have uh, responded on the surveys. Um, literally, like the Shame and Secret survey, I think we were approaching 3,000 people having taken that survey. Um, and it's fascinating uh, what what other people keep in the uh, kind of hidden that they're afraid to share with other people. And uh, I've always find it fascinating going through through there and seeing how, how alike we really are. Um Oh, I want to give a shout out to a listener, uh, Hannah Roberts, who won the Hurt 100 Ultra Marathon. That's right. They run 100 miles through the mountains of Hawaii. And she dedicated her uh, her run to the Mental Illness Happy Hour. And uh, I appreciate that. She was uh, also the winner last year, and she sent me a really nice note how when she was about 60 miles into it and kind of hit a wall that she thought back on the episode with Nadaray Fanoyan, um, the Iranian freedom fighter, and she thought about all of the battles that Nadaray 
had to fight in her life and she used that as inspiration to keep going. And uh, I just think that's fucking awesome. So congratulations, Hannah. Um, wanted to mention the the episode with Lilith. There was some controversy as to whether or not she was right when she said that if you've ever taken lithium as a woman, you're at risk for having a child with birth defects. That is not the case. That is not. In fact, you can even be on lithium and the risk is still very, very small that your child will have any type of um, birth defect, but there is no um, risk having had lithium in your past. Um, I think if you're on lithium and you're pregnant, the the, the risk is like one in 5,000 for the baby having some type of uh, heart thing. But I would not use this podcast as a place to find out information like that. I am a jackass that tells dick jokes. Uh, pretty sweet ones, but they're dick jokes. And uh, that brings me to this email I want to read from uh, Maya Stone. She says, um, during the recent episode with Elizabeth Lame, she mentioned that she was trying to get pregnant and therefore was not taking any antidepressants. As a doctor, mother, and someone who suffers from depression, I want to make sure that women are talking to their doctors and being honest with themselves about their depression symptoms before deciding to go off medication for pregnancy. I stopped my medic- medication for my first pregnancy and was miserable. I resented my unborn child for making me fat and tired and often regretted getting pregnant. I finally broke down and restarted my meds a week before I gave birth. I stayed on my meds during my second pregnancy and had a much better experience. Many antidepressants have a very small risk of adverse effects on the fetus and that should be weighed against nine months of depression. So thank you for that Maya. Um, this was not an email, but this was somebody filled out at the at the end of a survey, and I wanted to read it. This is from a guy who calls himself Taquito, and um, he says, I don't understand how people have money. The guests who got help went to a hospital, live in a house, speak with a therapist, purchase medications, etc. How do they pay for these things? Being depressed much of the time over the past decades has made it difficult for me to build a career or earn any money, not to mention wasting money on various things when my mind was not right. But I am not permanently disabled, and I keep trying again, working at something like a job or graduate school program until I get depressed and generally fucked up in the head to where I cannot continue with it. Now I work full-time and must pay off debts and try to keep paying my bills and cannot see how to pay for an appointment with a counselor when that fee would totally fuck up my math problem, and I just fear that it will not help me. So it would be self-indulgent and self-destructive. Maybe maybe this is all evidence that I need to get more help. I guess all this could be said more easily, like, how about addressing financial difficulties, which are sometimes caused by mental illness, exacerbated by mental illness, and are a barrier to treatment? If a person is many thousands in debt, has obligations like children, rent, and bills, and just barely makes it with a low-paying job, is it even advisable for this person to spend $75 on a sliding scale fee or whatever it is for one to visit a middle-class professional to ask how they are feeling? This is what I am turning over in my head these days, knowing I need help, feeling that I do deserve help, but not sure it is the right thing for me to do because of the expense. Thank you, Takito, for that. That was actually uh, perfectly 
worded. I, I am lucky enough to have insurance, to be able to see a therapist and a psychiatrist, and I still sometimes find myself fighting the urge when I'm depressed to go for help because it's like sandpaper talking about it. It feels like a wound opening it up and talking about it again because you don't know where the truth actually lies. It's a tangled bowl of spaghetti. And it, is it, am I being a baby? Am I, am I just feeling sorry for myself? Is this actually depression? Is it because I've been too selfish lately? What is really going on with me? And sometimes it just feels like it's easier to just sleep and ignore it. So you throw money, a money problem on top of that. I wish I had an answer to that, Takito. I just like calling you Takito. I wish I had an answer to that. And that is a letter that I would like to have somebody read in front of Congress because I think there are millions of people that feel just the same way you do. Um, this may, may or may not be helpful, this email I got from somebody, but they found a way that kind of worked for them. And this is from uh, Randy Huff, and he says, I've been calling around and hitting some walls, which can be demotivating when trying to do anything. Some primary care doctors won't see you for, quote, mental health, and not all will accept cash. Some of the sliding scale places don't treat mental health. And one that did isn't taking new patients. But here I am 10 days later and I had a stroke of genius last night. I had visited urgent care centers before. So I called one up and asked if they could prescribe antidepressants and they said yes. I went and saw a doctor. It cost $90 and they gave me one refill and asked that I come back in three weeks or see a primary care physician in three weeks. Uh, the prescription was for 20 milligrams of Celexa, and Target filled that prescription for $4 off their generic plan. It is not the end-all answer, but a step in the good direction. I feel incredibly accomplished today and on a high. Yes, I know I'll crash down to reality at some point, but right now I feel a sort of success. I'm still trying to find a better location to treat my mental illness. They also recommend calling 211 for counseling from any landline. So they said that that number will help you find counseling in your area. Um, thank you for that, Randall. And I did try that from my landline. And it is, um, I believe, a nationwide number where you will get somebody who can help direct you to any type of community service that there is in your area, um, be it mental health facility, you know, to a, you know, a dog that won't stop barking. Um, but that is good to know. So if you're sitting there and you're just really feeling frustrated, dial 211 from a landline and just start talking to somebody. Maybe, maybe it will lead you to help. It doesn't hurt to try. And I think like Randall said, at least you, you, you feel like you're moving forward. Um, and before we get to the, to the interview with Ed Krasnick, by the way, we, we recorded the, the interview about a year or a year and a half ago. And one of the reasons why I kind of held on to it for so long was I felt, I think it's a great interview, but after it was over, I felt like I, I worried that I didn't get enough um, childhood stuff from uh, his story. And I found myself wanting to know more about that. So I felt like it was kind of incomplete. And then just for some reason, uh, I decided to, to play it last night. And, 
and I and I felt differently, and I felt like no, it's he he gives some snapshots of his of his childhood that I think um, paint a lovely picture for uh, for us. So uh, so I'm 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 posting it, and he's just a great guy, funny guy, Ed Grasnick. Um, right now I'm panicking that the intro is way too fucking long, and anybody that enjoys this show has stopped listening. I want to read an email, and then we'll get to the interview with Ed. Um, this is an email I got from a listener named Fiona, and she writes, I'm a singer and an artist, and I listen to podcasts like yours while mopping floors and cleaning toilets at my housekeeping day job. I've been feeling pretty depressed and hopeless for the past couple of days. Today, as I finished a good hour or two of ruminating about the past and worrying about the future, I decided to try writing a letter of encouragement to myself. You are stronger than you know. You have been to hell and back, and you are still moving forward. You have the ability to let it go, to let the past be the past and the future with all its unknowns be the future. You are here, now, in this moment, and you can use this moment to do good, provide service, create something beautiful, and enrich a life, whether it is your own or someone else's. Share your gifts with the world around you, and let the world within you grow. Every human being has weird thoughts going through their head. Oh, God, it's so embarrassing. I'm afraid I'll never get another job again. That I will die and will have not been special. My brain has the gift of seeing the terrible. A million-pound tourniquet being turned against my chest that was constant. Then I started sabotaging my own career. Wanting to die and... To stop him from feeling any joy. (laughs) That is... Very uncomfortable in my own body. I ended up becoming a male prostitute. And what I became was an animal. They took away my shoelaces. I became chaos. Like it hurts. I just want to go. I just want to leave. You have no idea what a small part of your life this is. If you go to a support group, it's like creating a family that you didn't have. I mean, life is 1% event. My body was abused. 99% judgment about that event. But they couldn't touch the best parts of me. But the world is a little bit wounding. It's also glorious. It does always get better. It really does. I'm here with that. Uh... Ed Krasnick. Uh, do you still go by Crazy Eddie Krasnick? <laughs> uh, I did in college, and I have, uh, my wife calls me those three names. Does not call me Ed, does not call me Crazy. It is all three consecutively in a row. I, I, that was my nickname. My nickname in college was Crazy Eddie. Are you serious? Yeah, Crazy Eddie. I was just kidding. No, no, it's true. It's Crazy Eddie. And because, because you know, when you're stu- institutionalized, people, you get a, you get a name. Were you institutional? No, but if oh. <laughs> you were, no, but I have other stuff. There's yeah. not that, but there's other stuff. Yes, you and I have talked. Uh, Ed is a, a stand-up comedian, an actor, a podcaster. You may have seen him on The Sopranos. He was the stand-up comedian uh, performing uh, bad jokes at the retirement home in that episode of The uh, of the Sopranos. Um, he, you, You've seen him do stand-up. Uh, he's got a podcast called This Week in Comedy, and... Uh, just a, a great guy and very open and honest about what what he's gone through. When I came to do your podcast, uh, we just we couldn't stop talking about what it's like to suffer from depression and mental illness and how it affects being creative and et cetera, et cetera. So you know, it was it was natural that you were going to come on the podcast. It was just a matter of uh, of of when and where. But you're you're here now, and I'm glad you're here. Well, me too. I appreciate it. Um, you. Are from I want to say Monroe, Louisiana. No, I'm from Boston, Massachusetts, <laughs> yeah. okay. and uh, I am uh, I'm from a long line of 
uh, mentally ill Jews, if I can put it that way. We have T-shirts. Um, and, and it really, and it, you know, and it's, I'm sorry. <laughs> you weren't expecting I just that. wasn't. And you weren't ready for it. it just, there, there's also a way Jewish people hit the word Jews. Jew. That never doesn't make me laugh. Um, <coughs> did you ever see when Don Rickles, excuse me, was on Larry King? I tell people about that all the time. Larry, you're a Jew. Larry, you're a Jew. <laughs> and then Larry, who was hosting a program that was yeah. live, goes under the table. You can't see him. Yeah. I didn't know where he went. For like two minutes, he was gone. Never doesn't make me laugh because yeah. there's just a. Uh, I, I suppose in in some in some way it, it that pronunciation of it is kind of when black people call each other the N word, like when Jewish people hit hit that that word. There's just a. You know that there's just that you know that that they've lived something or I don't know. It just, it just strikes me as. Um, um, just makes me laugh. No, I know. I know. It, 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 you have a hard J sound. Yeah. And it ends in ooh. Ooh. How can so it you not can't, be funny? Yeah. It's really, you know, when they were called that, they were made to be made to be funny and had really no choice and also had no choice with the mental illness. Yeah. Was given to them. No, I, I mean. Is it fair Is it fair to say that uh, the Jewish culture is a very mentally demanding um, in and of itself? Now, forget about how people outside the Jewish culture uh, treat uh, treat Jews, but a lot of the Jewish people that I have met, um, and this is usually how how sentences begin uh, before someone is fired later. Yeah, um, a lot of the Jewish people I have met. There, there is a premium is placed on education, on and and go go go, achieve achieve achieve, and we will accept nothing less than awesome. Yes, and okay. introspection, and and. Uh, re- self-reflection, mm-hmm. but also self-criticism. Yes. Self-criticism and self-reflection. And what you don't get to do as a, as a Jewish person, I mean, I, grew, I went to yeshiva, I went to Hebrew day school. Mm-hmm. What you don't get to do is there's a mysticism part of Judaism. Mm-hmm. There's Kabbalah and there's a mysticism and there's a fire and a, and a spirituality. But they don't let you, t- you don't go near that. Why not? Uh, because you're not supposed to read that book till you're 40. Because really? you don't understand it. It's very complex. I would agree that there are things that you can't grasp until you're near that age, right. but I don't understand why you would tell somebody to not even go near it. Until but you're, you're not. Well, you're not supposed to. You're not supposed to do it because you're not allowed to have pleasure. No, I, I mean you're not allowed to have flavor or pleasure. These are the two things. No, I mean the thing. The thing about it is that there's a there's a bunch of different things. One is we're talking about spirit. You say you know, spirituality, and there's a great fire and a great spirit, and there's storytelling, and there's culture, and there's passion. But there's also, um, there's also, uh, um, we're outsiders, we're not part of it. And, uh, and we're gonna, and, and, and we don't uh, feel that we belong. And not just outsiders for a brief period of time. Right. You know, right. It, no, it, it's, 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 it's you guys are the original outsiders. Yeah, we were in the S.E. Hinton. S.E. Hinton wrote a book about <laughs> us, and it, the, the people in the movie, of course, were not yes. ca- they weren't Jews who were cast because yes. you never cast Jews to play Jews or lawyers to play. You know how it is. But but I think you know I think the thing is if and I you know this is a weird way to get into it. But yes. if you believe that you're your brain, if you believe that what we are is the brain, that yes. the brain runs your life, your mind runs your life, you're going to be very unhappy. Very unhappy, very confused, uh, very sad, and feel very controlled. 
Yes. And you're going to spend your whole, you know, you spend your whole life believing that you have control over everything and that you will try to control everything. And you will try to will. And and there are people who can achieve some semblance of it. People like I'm reading, uh, I keep talking about this book constantly, but I'm reading Steve Jobs' biography. And here is a guy who literally willed things into existence, but was in many ways one of the most pathetic human beings I've ever read about it in interpersonal relations. Well, you know, there's something, there's something, the other thing is, you know, when I used to hear all these terms, I thought, oh, it's woo-woo, it's touchy-feely, it's nobody knows about it. Balance. Yeah. We, incredible people, incredibly gifted people mm-hmm. are not balanced. They're not balanced. Yeah. And that's part of their gift. But what they don't, what people don't learn is they don't learn, they don't learn how to be balanced. We don't learn how to be balanced. We don't learn that our emotions are actually something that want to move through us. Mm-hmm. They don't want to stay. They don't want to be controlled. They don't want to. They don't want to be part of your body. They don't want to stay in your liver. They actually want to move out. And if you welcome them instead of resist them, yeah. they go away. They leave you, and they move on. And that's that. You know, but but who understands that? Who practices that? Who nobody, learns that? Nobody teaches us that. And so I think what we do, and what I often do, is when an uncomfortable emotion comes to me, I try to act. act my way out of that emotion or think my way out of that emotion instead of just embracing that and saying, oh, look, I'm feeling sad or, oh, look, we're talking about it. And it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. It doesn't mean, there's no meaning attached to it. Do you think the most obsessive compulsive behavior is somebody trying to escape feeling an emotion? You know, I, I, I'm not an expert. I mean, I, it, it could it could be. I think I think in, in some senses, whether you're trying to escape it, control it. Control it. You want to control it. Which you can't. You want to control things and you want to understand things. That's the mm-hmm. other thing. Yeah. We have to under, and understanding is another way of controlling. Uh, you know, there's uh, this guy, this teacher, the Sedona method. There's some, there's a tool. It's, it's actually a very good you call it? Sed- Sedona. Sedona method. Right. It's a very good tool uh-huh. and it's a releasing technique. And it, 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 it postulates that, uh, the only reason to understand your problems is because you're planning on having them again. Hmm. Why would you need to understand them if you weren't planning on having them again? Yeah, I suppose so. That that makes total sense. And there's a lot of effort that goes into understanding. Like, where did it come from? Why did it persist? You know, it's not important where it came from. What's important is that you're here now, and you can let go of it. Uh, I want to go back to what you said about um, this uh, identifying that your mind is who you are. That to me was was one of the biggest breakthroughs that I've had uh, was learning to disidentify from my mind. And I learned by um, reading Eckhart Tolle's book, uh, A New Earth, and A Power of Now is also a great book, but A New Earth to me is just the, the, the greatest, one of the greatest books about the mind and the ego ever, ever written. And if you begin to disidentify from your mind and and realize that your thoughts aren't who you are, that you don't have control necessarily over what thoughts pop into your head, but what you do have control over is how long you let them linger and how long you just play with them. Um, you, you then have a chance to tap into this other part of our being, and I know this sounds like a bunch of horse shitty new age stuff, but you, you have then a chance to feel your spirit instead of your mind. And I believe, as many people do, that we are not human beings. We are not bodies with the spirit. We're spirits 
with the body. And the spirit, in my opinion, always has to lead because if the spirit is ignored, um, I believe that the mind and the body wither and suffer and it's all downhill from there. Well, it's it's the you know I don't know if it's been this way throughout the throughout the history of the world, but certainly in this time, um, there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of trying to control stress. There's a lot of panic. A lot which of panic. Is not, which is not fear. It's panic. Which is I don't want to feel the fear. Right. I've I want to get control rid- the fear. And I got to get rid of it right now. Yeah. What am I going to do? And, and I, there's def- I can't be patient with this feeling. No, because I'm going to die because I have, you know, it's not a good picture. And so I'm going to resist what I don't want to happen instead of open up to what I do want to happen. I'm mm-hmm. going to resist what I don't. I don't want to not be able to pay the rent. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to talk about not being able to pay the rent. Right. That's what I'm, I'm what I'm picturing is I can't pay it. And I don't want that to happen instead of, you know, uh, I'm going to let that go. I'm not going to picture not paying the rent. And, and, but how do you get to that point, Ed, without calling yourself irresponsible for not obsessing about the rent? Because most people would say, if I'm not obsessing about the rent that I can't pay, I'm being a, a, a douchebag, I'm being irresponsible, and I'm not dealing with reality. Okay, here's the other spin on it, though. If I'm panicking, I'm dead to other people. I'm dead to myself, and I'm dead to other people. So when I'm sitting here across from you, and I'm panicking, I'm not here. You know, when people say it's not, you know, it's not all about you, actually, it is all about you. It's all about you, because what you are, you take with you into life, into every person you come in contact with. So if you're withholding something, you're you're helping other people to withhold. Mm Mm-hmm. You're helping other people to be uh, to be not their full potential. So it is all about me, uh, and there and there's no other people out there. We're all reflections of each other. So there's one person, and it is all about me. You know, I mean, I mean, but 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 you say like the, like the panicking. Don't you want to be you know responsible? And and are you going to be a douchebag? You're not going to pay the rent. Panicking will not make you pay the rent. No, it won't. It does not bring you the rent. No. It t- in fact quite the opposite. It brings you not being able to pay the rent. Because what might happen is is in those two days where you're wondering how you're going to pay the rent, you're so unpresent in your conversation with somebody for something unrelated to the rent. Maybe that person was thinking about hiring you for a job, but you are so unpleasant to be around. You're so wrapped up in your own bullshit. That never has a chance to happen. I can't tell you how many how many stories I've heard of people that when they when they get in touch with their spiritual side for lack of a better word in other words disidentify from their mind and just try to be present in every moment and not give in to fear not trip on the past or the future but just look whoever you're talking to in the eye and be present those people's lives have a way of working out that is amazing and and it tells me there is something there is something going on that we can't see that is too sophisticated for us to put our finger on but when we just treat each other with dignity and try not to be controlled by our fear, that's, pathways open up. That pathways sh- open up. That shit gets taken care of as it is meant to do. Yes. There, there is. You know, when you're withhold, when I'm withholding stuff, um, and I'm trying to control stuff, and I'm panicking, I'm riding around in a car with the emergency brake on. That's the feeling. Mm-hmm. Everything's a big deal. Everything is a chore. Every, it's never going to get better. 
Now we're talking a sedan, an SUV, a Volt? In my case, it would be the car that the nuns used in The Flying Nun, (laughs) which is a side panel like a Woody. A Woody, yeah. But it's a Woody that has flat tires. It's a Woody (laughs) that is not souped up. It's actually souped down. Um, this is a, this is the thing. I mean, you're you're riding around. It's that feeling. You're yeah. right. The car wants to go. Mm-hmm. Take your foot off the emergency brake. That's a that's a such a great analogy. Such a great analogy. And if you do, the car goes on its own. It really does. You don't have to push the pedal. Yes, it you just be- goes on its own. You become your own worst enemy and obsessing about your fear almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. It it is because yeah. because what happens when you're when I'm when I'm afraid, I'm picturing there are pictures that form and the pictures are the things that I don't want. Mhm. So if you if if you let go of the pictures of the things that you don't want to happen, you open to the things that are wanting to happen. So then how do you get... Re- and I know this stuff intellectually. Ed, yeah, me and, too. And, and, and intellectually. I, and, and there are many days when I can actually execute what we're talking about. But for instance, this morning, um, I was just walking around in doom, uh, convinced that I'm never going to make any money again, that the house is falling apart that I, my mental illness is getting worse, that I'm going to eventually become hospitalized. I mean, just really, it's all bad, and it's all getting worse, and I'm fucked. And I printed out this woman's list of fears, this listener who had uh, uh, sent me this fantastic list of fears, uh, and I started reading some of them. Her name is Christine, and I began to feel my fear lift. I began to feel my sense of being alone lift. And it just never ceases to amaze me how quickly we can think we're the only ones going through this and that what we're experiencing is absolutely reality. You know, because because the act of doing that to yourself, and the and I I did it on my way over here. Yeah. I do it all the time. What were you afraid of on the way over here? I'm afraid that people won't like me. I'm afraid that I won't be good enough, and I'm afraid that you know what I'm thinking about is I want your listeners to like me. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking about. I'm not thinking about you know be yourself. I'm not thinking about be right. real. I'm not thinking about be present. Right. I hope that they're driving in a car or, li- or washing the clothes mm-hmm. and they listen to this guy and they think, wow, that guy's really smart and funny and great. Mm-hmm. That's, what I, that's what I'm thinking about. And you know what? I'm not living. Yeah. I'm not living. I'm not present. Uh, and uh, I'm not alive. That is what being not alive is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. By the way, I think those things, and it's my show they're t- tuning into. Oh, Sure. Sure. No, you know, I it never ends. It's like they're 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 coming back to listen to the show, and I'm still afraid. <laughs> well, yeah, they're not gonna. It's like it's like a woman taking her clothes off to have sex with you, and you're thinking to yourself, "Boy, I just don't think she's into me." And you're not there. And you're not and there. You're not there. But but I, and, and, and but you know, I started doing the <clears throat> these. Everybody's got some technique or some tool. You you need you need you need people. You need to connect to other people. But you all, but the, you need a tool. You need something that you can do. Right. If you don't have something that you can do, then you don't have anywhere to go. But your brain. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, you have your brain, and that's it's going to just go. So something, you know, I never thought about this, but you know, the Sedona method and some other releasing techniques welcome it. 
what happens with these with these fears and these uh, self fulfilling is it's resistance. You're resisting what is, mm-hmm. and so so stop resist. So so welcome it. I'm afraid. I hate myself. People never listen to my show. I can't do this. I can't. Nobody's going to like me. I'm going to bomb on Paul's show. It's going to be horrible. And you say, okay, okay. I hear you. I welcome you. Do you want? Can you be more afraid? Encourage it to be more. Really? And when you encourage it to be more, something very interesting happens. It goes away. Really? It goes away. I've never tried that. Encourage it. When you have a feeling in your gut, and, you, and this is starting to come, you say, wow, I see, I feel, yeah, wow, I'm doing that fear thing again. I see that that's coming. You know what? Be more afraid. Yeah. And it's a paradox. And what happens is you, you start opening up. What's making you afraid is you're constricting. You're physically, you're constricting. And when you say, I'm constricting, could I, could I make more space? Then there's more space. How did you learn this stuff? This, well, one is the Sedona method, but for years, you know, we're comics. And <clears throat> while I was doing stand-up and I was trying to be in, in you know, doing show business, um, I was seeing every single person on the planet and new agey people and shaman Mm-hmm. And crazy people and some people who are gifted and everything because I didn't like who I was and uh, I wanted to be happy. I wanted to be at peace. I don't think that you should have to wait till the end of your life to hear the words rest in peace. Yeah. I think that's too late. I think you got to do it now. I think it's the perfect time. <laughs> I mean, I've got to disagree. When, you, when you're in the casket. Yeah. I like to build. <laughs> I like to build and I like to close strong, Ed. You close strong and you then know. now, finally. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, sp- speaking of uh, of that, uh, apparently Steve Jobs' sister uh, was describing hi- him in his last minutes uh, on Earth. And he, it's like he was... Uh, he was he was just this relaxation came over in him and he just kept saying he was looking at everybody around him and soaking in the love and he just kept saying wow 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 and uh and i just thought wow it it here's a guy that just ran over people his whole life and then in the last couple of minutes and it, you know this is my opinion i never met the guy never spent any time around him but judging from this book it's like he he didn't really get the power of just sitting mm. and being with people and not working an angle and not obsessing about a project until the last couple of minutes of his life and and that's what you go out with that's what you go out with and and I'm sure that's what was meant to be for him. We all benefited in many ways from the great products <clears throat> that he obsessed about but I don't want to be that guy. I don't right. want to to stumble onto uh, what gets me to peace. The last week I'm I'm on Earth. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. How do we do it now and not feel like we're being irresponsible and we're being lazy? Because aren't aren't those the two things that pop into your head when when you try to tell yourself to calm down and not worry about the future? Well, it's that I'm going to die, you know, it's that I'm, I'm going to die and I have no control. And so I'm going to die and I have no control. And so this will, with me, it's, it will always be this way. There's a permanence to it. I, my life has sucked before and it will, it's never going to change. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. And, you know, uh, gratefulness, being grateful has not been one of my strong suits. Uh, I, I don't know, I, I don't spend a lot of time in it. 
because I'm too busy, you know, making myself crazy. Well, gratitude can't be faked. I've I've never been able to to fake gratitude. I have to feel gratitude, and I can never feel. I can rarely feel gratitude uh, if I'm trapped in my mind. I have to connect to something in my spirit. And when I say spirit, I mean that energy when I connect to another human being. That to me is I'm connecting you with my spirit and not my mind. Like what we're, you and I are doing right now. Right. Yeah, there's a little bit of intellectual stuff involved, but we're being vulnerable. We're talking about our fears. That to me is like where then the, the spirit in our body kind of enters into it. Sure. And that is the only kind of portal that I can get to gratitude through is through my spirit. Yeah, because you can't, you know, you can't, you don't, you can't control it. I can't control it, and and also, it's very hard to be in your head and be grateful. Yeah, if you're in your head, because you your head always wants more. Yeah, more, and and there's something wrong with it, or I'm not being grateful in the right way. Mm-hmm. You know, you you comment on it instead of just be it. But the, you know, we just want to be. You want to be a human being, and it's very it's very challenging for me to be a human being and and feel all this stress and and feel like all these things mean something because then you attach the meaning, I attach the meaning to it. And because I can't pay my DWTP bill, mm-hmm. th- it means something. Yeah. It means something. Not only is the electricity going to be shut off, mm-hmm. but, but I'm going to die. Right. It all got kind of goes to that. Have you been, have you had that experience where you can't pay your, your light bill? Uh, uh, up until very recently. So walk me, walk me through. What's... Well, I, you know, show business, it's, it's, uh, it's been very difficult for me. Um, in the, as it has been for most people yeah. in the last few years. Um, everybody's working for free. Everybody's working for free. But here's a basic, there's a basic thing. The world tells me there's no money. There's no jobs. Nobody has any money. The world is going bankrupt. This is what the world tells you. And then what happens is it feeds perfectly into my sense of panic. And then what happens is I get smaller. I start to constrict I get smaller. I don't believe there's any possibility. And I'm in the car and I can't even see two feet in front of me because it's, I'm never going to, it's horrible. I hate my, you know, it's, it's horrible. So this is the cycle of what, of what happens. And, um, I lost my train of thought a little bit, but what, but what the light bill, unable to pay. What happens is, is you're, um, um, you're not like you say before. You're not open to really what is, and you're not in a state of being. And it's all a lie. It's a big, you know, it's a big lie. There, there's plenty of money. There's plenty of work. There's plenty of all these things, but not if you're panic stricken. The economy is shifting. Yes, and people have robbed America. You know, the, the, the economy. It's real. That's shifting. But they're telling people to panic, and people are buying into it, and the biggest inventions and the best things that have ever been discovered have mostly been discovered at a time when people are telling you that there's no money. This is when inventions are born. They're born out of times when people feel scarcity. This is when they're born. So, I, you know, I lost my original train of thought. The, the what Great I was Depression uh, was when the double-headed dildo was invented. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that. My great-grandfather... <laughs> And soon. <laughs> no, uh, I, I, yeah. Well, it's funny. It's funny. No, this, oh, this is what I was what I was thinking of. Besides the dildo, was you know how was, the double headed dildo was was uh, invented? A couple of uh, hobos were fighting over a can of beans, and somebody watching thought these two really are the perfect angle for this invention. You know, well, this and it was born out of a time a man was sitting there who was very depressed, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden he looked at that and he said, "There's money here." Yeah. 
I'm thinking, fuck these guys. And I thought, no, I could literally fuck both these guys at the same time. And I'll invent something. And I know a friend, and his name is, his name is Wildo. We call him Wildo. <laughs> I'm not going to call it that, but maybe a harder D would be good because uh, there's two Ds in it, double D. Um, the, the, thing, the thing that I was thinking about is for me, you have like a core belief. You have a belief about yourself. Yes. For me, um, I always struggled with the belief that I had no value. Mm-hmm. So if you have no value it becomes very difficult to get money in your life. It, it is. It's amazing how that is. Because you think, why, why would anybody treat me other than invisible? And you approach people as an invisible person. You approach, or you, or you become the ingratiating, you know, which is like, I'll ask a waitress at a restaurant, you know, I hate to bother you. Right. It's, That's all, it's, it's always our, I hate to bother you. It's fucking job. But I hate to bother you. Right. Because if I say I would like a napkin, she may, maybe she doesn't like me. Mm-hmm. Pushy, too demand- pushy Ed. Pushy, no, pushy and too demanding mm-hmm. and, and uh, not likable. So you want to be liked, have no value, believe you have no value. Um, it's not amazing. It's like Max Moncito and Hannah and his sisters. It's not that there are Nazis. It's given the way things are in the world, why aren't there more Nazis? It's right. not why are there Nazis. It's if you're doing this to yourself. Right. And there's 8 billion people on the planet who are also doing this to themselves. How is it possible that anybody's still alive? Because it's very violent. It's very violent. Uh, and, you know, I mean, I can be, you know, when you, I've been in such therapy, but also like the shamans and the people, and I, you know, y- you make fun of it, but really I, you pick the wrong therapist. That's the other thing. You pick people who are going to per- perpetuate what you're feeling, what, what's happening inside of you. What percentage of people have you gone to see have been uh, kind of full of shit and a waste of money and time? Well, nobody's totally, there's always something in there, but I've Who spe- is the worst one? Um... It's not that, uh, oh, probably an analyst when I was like uh, 17 um, was a guy who was divorcing from his wife at the time, was going through a divorce. And he would call me up on the phone and he would say, Mr. Edward Krasnick, it's my job to identify patterns of irresponsible behavior. (laughs) Now, this was an analyst. So this was the one time where an analysis is you lay on a couch and the person is behind you. You don't see them. You free associate. It's based on free associate. That's analysis. And I can't talk to somebody if I can't look at them. So my neck, I had like a neck brace because I was, I, yeah. I was turning my head the whole time. And he said, just feel free to look, look straight out that way. And he kept moving his chair. And it was like running after him on a baseball diamond. It was like a crazy thing. So uh, the good therapists, you know, they're, the, the people that are, that are good are, are people who, um, you know, who, who, to me, who challenge you. And, you know, when you go make a joke in a therapy office and the woman looks at you and says, you know, I'm sure you're very funny, but I'm, I'm sure that's not why you're here. Then, you know, you're, you know, you know, you're in the right. But, but therapy has helped me. I wouldn't be alive if it weren't for, for the therapists I've seen. Sure. But, but it is, um, what is really helping me is is uh, releasing, learning how to let go, and uh, and being and learning how to be more present. That's well. All. Well, let's talk about um, like your your past, your upbringing, that that kind of stuff. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna tell you a story. I'm gonna give you a picture, and it'll tell you everything you need to know. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's um. I am. Uh, I'm like ten years old, and uh, I'm living in the suburbs of Boston. Maybe ten, eleven years old. And it's 8.30 in the morning, and I'm in my bedroom, which has royal blue half drapes. Royal blue was very big in this time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so royal blue and a bedspread with red piping. Royal blue bedspread, red piping. <clears throat> and, and, and so I'm laying in the bed, 
and I'm face down on the bed. Um, I'm panicked beyond belief. The TV is on in my room, and it's on a desk, and it's a Philco black and white TV with a coat hanger antenna because he used to carry it around the house to avoid talking to other people. Afraid, you know, didn't want to communicate with anybody, so <clears throat> would carry the TV in front of me. So I'm in the bed, and outside my bed, oh, 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 and I should mention, it's snowing sideways, and it's February, and it's pitch dark. That, this is how I remember it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm laying down, and I hear outside the window the voices of kids on their way to school. And I can't move. So, okay, that, now, that, now, now cut to later in the day, okay? So it's later in the day. My mother has been out shopping. I've been in this position all day. The TV has continued to be on all day. I'm sleeping, and I'm dozing. and I'm 11 years it, old now. Wow. And... My mother comes home and I hear the garage door opening, okay? And the garage door is opening and I start to panic because I don't want her to think that I've been in bed all day. And I am in my pajamas and I get out of my bed like really fast and I start to like put my hair together, comb my hair because I want, I want her to believe that even though I'm in my pajamas, I'm fine and I'm She on thinks it. you went to school. She th no, she knows, that I'm, she knows that I'm home. Okay. But she... Thinks that you but got up and did she something. She thinks I got up and did something. But now I'm so, so it's a kid who is, you know, totally depressed, feels totally alone, trying to comfort himself, um, doesn't know that it's okay to have feelings, thinks you're bad if you have them, thinks you're bad if you have needs, and thinks there's something desperately wrong with him and that other people aren't like that. So you got all that going on, plus no drugs, but stuffing feelings with food. The reason why I was in bed in the first place is because I watched Johnny Carson the night before. And at 11.30, I would walk back and forth to the kitchen to get more food to because I was so lonely because I would stuff my feelings. Mm -hmm. And then I'd make myself so physically sick that I really couldn't get out of bed. So I was depressed, but I was depressing it with food, and I was, I was ill. I was physically sick. So this is the cycle of the way that I lived off and on up until I was in my 30s. Whether I was living with my family or not, yeah. I was living that way. And, and it wasn't until I met another guy uh, who was in a comedy group with me, and I said, uh, and he said to me something, he said, how are you doing? I said, well, I, you know, things aren't that good. He said, he said, let me ask you a question. Do you hide? And I said, well, I've never heard anybody ask me that before. He said, yeah. And we started talking, we became good friends. And he was doing the same thing. But you can't meet other people who are doing the same thing because they're hiding. Unless you talk about it. Yeah. You too. And then we'd start calling each other up on the phone and say, how you doing? He says, I'm doing it. Haven't been out in three days doing it. And this is the greatest. This is a funny story, and I'll make it really brief. But um, I lived in San Francisco, and I lived on the parade route to Seal Rock Beach, which was uh, Ocean Beach, which all the dignitaries, when they came to San Francisco, they would go right by my house. So outside my house, I haven't been out in a few days. I got the pajamas. I'm eating Quaker natural, Quaker 100% natural cereal because I could buy the box because I couldn't even allow myself to have flavor while I'm depressing the feelings. It had to be, oh, it's natural. Well, I ate five boxes of it, you know, so, so it's not, you know, I'm naturally depressed and sick. So there I am. I'm sitting. Uh, my feet are up on a table that has a TV set and the TV is playing and outside I hear a motorcade. And I open my window like a little old lady, you know, who's like looking out with a teacup. 
and I open the, the little jealousy, you know, the uh, blinds, and I open it up, and I see that French Prime Minister Francois Mitterrand is outside my window, and he's waving, and there's a crowd, and they're going by, but in back of me, I hear from my TV set the theme song to Eight is Enough, and I have a choice to make. And I closed the windows, and I went back to watch Eight is Enough. That will tell you where where the choices are and what but what are you trying to do everybody that does everything in life it's to you try to get a basic core need met you're not trying to hurt anybody you're trying to get a basic core need met you don't know how to do it so i go with what i know and if you have a history of that core need not being met the last thing you want to do is extend yourself and be vulnerable to only have that happen again so why not withdrawal? Well, it's yeah. better than it's better than the pain of rejection, right? Well, yeah, but you know what's really easy? You know what's a, you know it's a million times easier than this? Hmm. Having a feeling and opening up and letting it go. That's really easy. So what should you have done in that situation? That's really easy. Walked out in your pajamas and said, "Hi, Frenchie." Hi, I I could have said, "Hi, Frenchie," and and I need a ride. Yeah. <laughs> because I haven't been out in a few yeah. days. Yeah. And but I would have fixed my hair. Um, no, it, 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 that's what it, that's what it really, you know, that's what it's, it's, do you, does anybody realize how hard, I mean, how difficult it is to be depressed, yeah. how difficult it is to depress what naturally wants to come up and out. You, what you're doing is you're holding a piano. It's like a jack in the box. You're holding all this shit in that wants to just come out. It's not trying to hurt you. So why, why doesn't it come out? Because the brain says, this is bad for you, it will hurt you, and you could, you could, you could die from this. And people won't love you if they know this is inside you. Yeah, yeah. There's something wrong. Just the fact that it's here, there's something wrong, because it makes you feel, feel uncomfortable, and it means something. There, this feeling means something, so I must understand. It means something. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. It's a feeling. When a, kid, when a kid has a feeling, they're upset one minute, and they're happy the next. Mm -hmm. And that's what, like, that's what feelings are. There's no, there's no, there's not, it doesn't mean anything else. Mm -hmm. And, and you're in the moment. And the other thing is through entertainment, you know, I'm trying to do these shows that unite self-help and comedy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we do this show called Acting Out and it basically is. Brilliant idea. I, I, I well, it's, it's so much fun. Yeah. But what, but that's what it is. It's mm -hmm. guests act out their real life issues with a therapist and a panel of comedic actors. And it's like, it's therapeutic role play. So emotional who's line is kind of what it is and um it, describe it a little a little more because i think for somebody that hasn't heard that yet they, they can't picture exactly well, how, how it goes down a, a guest comes on okay i'm on the stage there's a guest you're the host i'm the host and there's a guest who comes on and i talk to them about real life issues what's going on in their real life a woman comes on and she says um i'm really upset i said well what's happening she said well i hate my mom and i just got off the phone with her and i can't stand her and i said well you know, is that ever, you think it's ever going to change? What, what will you do with this situation? Yeah, it'll change. It'll change in a funeral home. <laughs> All right, the therapist is on stage with me. There's mm -hmm. a panel of comedic actors. The therapist says, well, you're in luck today. This is your lucky day. Because this is a funeral home. And I'm going to ask our panelists, one of our panelists, Moon Zappa, to come over and lay down in this grave right here and be your mom. And now you get to do the eulogy. Now, these are funny people. Tears are now pouring down this woman's face pouring down this woman's face your friend and mine jimmy pardo is on the panel 
Jimmy looks over at the way that Moon Zappa is laying down in the grave, and he says, why is Moon Zappa laying in a grave like she's a guest star on CSI Miami? Why is that happening? The audience is now roaring. They have seen somebody bawl their eyes out, and now they're laughing. Within the next 10 minutes, this woman will play her mother, her daughter, herself at different ages. The other panelists will help her with different parts of her life. And in 10 minutes, she's going to have a different relationship with her mom, and her mom's not there. Wow. So that's what it is. Uh, so the the uh, comedians that are a, a part of it, they play different roles of people in that in that panelist's life. Yeah, you might you might, but everyone is different. We never know exactly what's going to happen. Uh, is there is there the comedian's role sol- solely to bring levity to it? Nope. The comedian's mm-hmm. role is to help the the person. So it's really kind of the ball is in their court is to decide when to try to be serious and when to try to be funny. Well, the therapist is guiding the whole thing. I mm-hmm. mean, there, I work with a guy who's been doing this for 40 years. He used to work with John Lennon. I mean, the guy is amazing. Oh, and, Pete Best. Yes. And he was upset for about 35 of those years. But for five years, he said, I'm going to start doing this therapy and maybe yeah. they'll help me. And, and his incessant drumming. There's nothing worse than space drumming, too. There's no drum there. Um, but, but, but no, he, he, he's very good at it. And, and it's, it's therapeutic. It's not, you know, the comedy comes out of it. But it's not, it's not, uh, it's not comedic to be comedic. Whereas you have, you know, the marriage ref and things like that. These are comedic to be comedic. We're right. not helping anybody. We don't want to help anybody. We're not interested in anybody. Right. We want to be funny. Well, this is uniting comedy and emotion. And this is... To me, that's the best comedy is the stuff that comes from someplace really kind of deep and, and painful. There's nothing... But when you have both of them, what happens is I look at the audience, they come to life. Mm-hmm. Like all of a sudden, people who are depressed and they have no energy and it's like, how long is this show going to be? They don't leave. Yeah. How often do you do the show and where do you do it? Well, I used to do it at, uh, I'd taken it, I did it in San Francisco for a little bit and I did it here in LA at a place called the Actors Art Theater, a little theater. And then I did it at the Improv. And now we're, you know, we're pitching it to TV. I mean, it's a TV show. And, and, and around it is a company that I'm starting. It's called Commotion. It stands for Comedy and Emotion. And uh, it's a company that produces and creates and develops self-help, uh, unites self-help and comedy throughout all media. Little self-help tools that you can use mm-hmm. that are really simple, like, you know, when I'm feeling afraid, I can actually welcome it. I might actually try that. And, and if I'm feeling all this crap, I could ask myself a question. Would I rather feel the way I'm feeling right now or would I rather be free? And as soon as you ask yourself that question in your head, it goes away. Now, it may come back, but it gives you, it, what it gives you is a perspective that, oh, my God, there's something I can do. I just had this thing and it went away well, for a get, second. You know, for me though, sometimes that's that's not enough to get the feeling to go away. I can recognize that I'm trapped in my mind, but still, like this morning, I, I'm just in a funk and doing all the stuff I'm supposed to do. You know, reading the books that help me and meditating, and and still couldn't shake this feeling of of doom. And yeah. and obsessing uh, about whether is is this feeling that I have is this something I have control over or is this my physical chemical depression and and this is just on a downward spiral. Yep, you know? I know I know it well. No, I, well I mean there you know there there are. So does that mean that then that I was experiencing something that's beyond my control? Yeah, yeah. But, but you know, like sitting down, you know, if I, I have that stuff come up mm-hmm. and I sit down and often I don't do this and I say, okay, this is what's going on right now. 
What seals that stuff in is it should not be going on right now. What's going on right now is not okay. Right. That's what keeps it going. What's going on right now is not okay. Instead of, you know, I'm feeling doom now. Could I welcome the doom? Yes. Okay. Let me sit such, with the doom. Yeah, I have such a hard time doing that. And and that's not the first time I've heard somebody suggest that. And and I and I've done it before, but it is so it's so hard to go in the direct. It's like turning into the into the fishtail. It's all it's, 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 but counter, it's, it's counterintuitive. Well, it's 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 only hard because we've been practicing something else our whole lives. It's practice. So now we're practicing. You know, it's like saying I'm going to dribble the basketball with my right hand for forty years, and now I'm going to go with my left. Oh, I can't do this. This is horrible. I can't really dribble with my left. Certainly not as well as with my right. Well, it's hard to to unlearn, to undo something, but it's actually confoundingly simple. It's so simple, it's the brain can't accept it. It's so simple. How could it be that simple? Well, it's that simple. <laughs> because our, 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 our problems and our feelings feel so large and overwhelming, we almost refuse to believe that a solution, a temporary solution, could be that simple and that easy. Be, because I'm controlling it, and so it makes it bigger. Because I'm controlling it, and it's in, I'm, walk, I'm a human being that's walking around with all this, tr these trapped feelings that have never been let out. Uh, do you feel like doing a fear-off? Yeah. Okay, uh, I mentioned earlier uh, on the show this, this wonderful woman named uh, Christine who sent me this really nice email that really picked my spirits up today. And I, I think only if you're uh, d depressed and full of fear can you not be offended by the idea that I felt better by s seeing how scared somebody else is. There's Because on the surface, it sounds kind of mean and vindictive, but it's... Uh, it's perspective. This is, this is what we all do to ourselves, and yes. here's the list. Yes. Um, so she it's, she writes, this list is in no way comprehensive. I uh, just decided this morning to start writing down my fears as they came up. So this covers about 12 hours of my day. Um, and, and then she goes to list like. Holy, this, this, I didn't realize you had a second page. There's three pages. That's There's three pages, single single space. You got it. That's yeah, fantastic. She will defeat you. She will probably defeat the next <laughs> two guests. The but uh, her fears are so. I'll just I'll just read them because I, I just. I just became such a fan of this uh, this this woman reading this. All right, uh, I'll kick off with her first uh, first fear. Um, I'm afraid my bowels will never work normally again. She's not alone there. Yeah, I'm afraid that the pants I'm wearing will offend other people who aren't here. Seriously? Yeah, I, I don't understand that one. I don't either. You're afraid that the pants you were wearing will offend people that aren't here. Yeah. How could they be offended by them if they're not here? Well, I think of family that isn't here, and I think of other people that aren't here, and I think they'd be they they wouldn't be happy seeing me the way I am. Oh, because you're you, you've got a rip in your yeah. jeans. Yeah. At first, I thought you were you were uh, being funny. No. But you're being serious. Yeah. Um. Uh, she says, "I'm afraid I'll never find joy in daily life." I'm afraid that I won't find joy in this minute, in this moment, and it means that I'm never going to be happy. I'm afraid I'll screw up my kids because of my mental illness. I'm I'm afraid that what my daughter is learning most is to is how to be a depressed, uh, a balding Jew. <laughs> I'm afraid my kids will inherit my mental illness. I'm afraid that <laughs> I'm afraid that the meek will inherit the earth. I'm afraid my kids will inherit IBS. 
I, IBS is irritable irritable bowel syndrome for those of you that don't know. Yeah. And uh, I really, I had it in my 20s and oh, did you? not fucking fun. Not fun. Yeah. Constant bloating and stomach aches and uh, you're either constipated or you got uh, diarrhea. I think Awful. that is what I'm, I have, but I, don't, I haven't had a name for it until yeah. now. I'm afraid that I'm going to die and I'm afraid that I'm going to live. Um, I'm afraid our paychecks will never last more than a week, even though we only get paid every two weeks. I am afraid that I will never be able to eat food, any food without having an allergic reaction and mm-hmm. feeling horrible. Uh, I'm afraid every charity and organization we like will shut down because we and people like us didn't have enough money to, do- to donate to them. That's a good one. Yeah, I have that one too. I, I was, I, I, okay, this is not mine, but it's so good. Mm-hmm. I, uh, a friend of mine, her mother, when Kennedy was assassinated, was on the toilet at the time. And was afraid that she would have to tell people when they asked her where she was when Kennedy was shot that she was on the toilet. That she, in her mind at that time, got off the toilet because she had that fear. How far ahead do you have to think? One day people are going to say, where were you when Kennedy was shot? And I'm going to say I was on the toilet. Okay, I better get off the toilet now. Now. So that's it. So she wasn't done on the toilet. She got off so that she could say she was somewhere else. Yes. Oh, my God. That's fantastic. Uh... Christine says, I'm afraid I will never fulfill my husband sexually. I have the same fear about your husband. No, I, I uh, okay, I could, I'm not going to say it because I'll get mm. in trouble. But, uh, but I, there's no trouble. No, there. there's trouble. I, but I have, uh, I, no, I'm not going to say it. That's okay. Now you have to say it. Oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I can't say this. I'm a, I'm a, I'm afraid that I'll uh ooh this is bad. You know, I always carry around this fear. I'm afraid that I'll never be able I'll never be touched again. That's a great fear to to uh let come up. Cuz yeah. that's uh That's not an easy thing to say. Well, it'll be uh it won't be easy in court when I'm uh, taken in by my wife. No, <laughs> it's not going to be easy when the battle happens. No, I, it is. It is. It's very difficult to say, you know, and I was that way when I was, you know, I wasn't, uh, I was, a, you know, I wasn't you're, you're intimate cur- with people. And yes. then, uh, you know, I got, I got into a relationship. It was my first real serious, like living with somebody relationship. And we're in the middle of, uh, you know, of having sex. And I was paralyzed because I wasn't used to being touched. When was this? Uh, a long time ago, but it's a vivid memory. It's a very vivid memory because I, you know, I was, I've, I was in love with this person mm-hmm. and it just sort of happened like that. And then being a comedian, I was lucky enough that I saved myself with uh, doing some kind of a Woody Allen impression. Mm-hmm. And I really did. So did, did you wind up becoming comfortable being touched? Yeah. Yeah. And are you comfortable being touched to this day? Yeah, yeah. But so, you're afraid that, that that feeling is going to come back. Yeah, sure. Okay. And 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 it, and it goes along with intimacy. Yes. It goes along with intimacy. Yeah. I think very few marriages exist that aren't going through some type of little snag at some point. I think it's just how big the snags are. Well, yeah. And if you have the foundation that you've built that you can um, that you can listen to each other. And it's, yeah, I don't, you know, I'm learning how to do it. And diplomatically express what you're feeling instead of expressing it as blame on what the other person is doing. That has been the biggest gift for me in keeping my marriage going and being a decent husband instead of saying, 
you know, you did this and that's wrong, uh, I'll say, you know, when this happens, it makes me feel this way and I don't want to feel that way. I want to feel closer to you and I don't know what to do. And then the ball is just out in the air and she's not cornered by me blaming her. I've expressed how I felt. So it allows her a chance to come towards me. Whereas if I'm just blaming, I've pushed her back into a corner. She has no choice but to be defensive. You know, it's, it's, it's I instead of you. Yeah. And <clears throat> if you really love somebody, um, you shouldn't want to win an argument with them. That's not how is that love? You know, but it I, took, I, I think it took great. me you know 15 years to to realize that all right practice yeah uh christine says um oh i turned the page prematurely uh this is amazing i just want to paint this but i want to say what's happening here there is a there are three pages and he's paul just turned to the second page and it is uh probably like a 12 10 or 12 font Mm -hmm. and the page is complete it looks like the torah it's yeah. completely filled yeah. with words. And this was just 12 hours of her day. She wrote this down as her fears come come out. And and I absolutely am as fearful as as she is. Uh so I I totally I totally get this and I can't tell you how happy this makes me. Um not that she's going through this, but that I have and finding other people that feel this way and that aren't afraid to share it uh, with somebody. It it just this is this is the feeling I've been looking for my my, my whole life because it's just connection. Yeah, and she says I'm afraid I will give in and have a three way with uh, my husband and regret it for the rest of my life. Here's my fear. My fear. This a big fear for me is that my daughter is never going to really know me. That's a great one. Uh, Christine says, I'm afraid I'll shit myself in the middle of a crowd with no bathroom nearby. Uh, I peed in a fashion show. Yeah, I was like five. I was in first grade and they had a fashion show for some reason. And I walked out and I saw the people there and I just I urinated all over the stage. Did you really? Well, I was just marking my territory. Um, I was a very wolfish kid. No, I, uh, but, but I did. Yeah, sure, sure I did. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be that psychiatrist and, and give you the stone face while we're going through the fear list when you, when you try to lighten it up with, uh, with your jokes. At least until, until I get the, the feeling that you're, because I get the feeling that you're being a little, um, not defensive, but you're, you're, uh, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just getting a, a, a feeling that you're, I'm afraid of it. Yes, yes. That you're afraid of the fear off. Correct. Um, so I'll use that as your fear and I'll, I'll give her, uh, her next one. Uh, and I'm sorry if that seemed the uh, judgmental of me, of me saying that. Well, it's, it just felt like it was getting in the way of, of us, the real, uh, getting, yeah. the, getting this flowing. Sure. Um, and know, by the way, that I've listed a gazillion of my fears. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm currently out because I've listed so many. It's, it's, uh, it's not that I don't have fears. I have, my list is about four times of what, yeah. what she has. Sure. Uh, she says, uh, I'm afraid my kids will be with me, uh, when this happens, when she shits herself in the middle of a crowd. Wow. Um, and, I'll, and I'll do another one that, that, that she has. I'm afraid I will screw up my relationship with my kids so bad that I won't get to spend time with my grandchildren. She has fear forwarding, which is great. Mm-hmm. I like her fear forwarding. I, I, you know, I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to go the other. No, I'll say, 
you know, with me, it's just basically it's a it's a fear of not being of not being known for who I am, and it's a fear of never living fully as myself in mm-hmm. any moment. Uh, that is a great one to not only be aware of but to express. And uh, when I started expressing things like that in my life, my life began to change for the better. And uh, I think everybody has has that one. And that's, uh, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, Christine says, uh, I'm, af- I, I'm afraid I will be a medical receptionist for the rest of my life, starting over every time we move to a new city. Yeah, I'm afraid that I will never allow myself to uh, do the kind of work that I'm, that I, that I want to do or meant to do. Uh, I'm going to do a couple of, a couple of hers cause she's just got so, so many. Uh, I'm afraid I'll never finish college. I'm afraid I'll finish college with student loans. I can never pay back. I'm afraid I'll get a degree and won't be able to find a job in that field. You can go on with hers cause she's great. Okay. All right. Uh, I'm afraid I'll get a degree. Wait. I'm afraid I'll get a degree, get the job I dreamed of and hate it. I'm afraid I will always be fat. I'm afraid people will think I'm stupid because of my weight. I'm afraid my husband will find me when I'm hiding and eating. I'm afraid someone will hear when I make myself throw up. I just fucking love this woman. I just love this woman. Her honesty is uh, is so awesome. It's incredible. Well, yeah. uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna save her uh, her fears for uh, for another fear off. When I was a kid, I remember uh, being in, it was a fall, and I remember being under a pile of leaves. And I remember like looking up at the sky, and I've had these moments all throughout my life, and I'm sure you uh, people have too. And I heard the voices of kids traveling through the air, and I heard the, the, the noises in the neighborhood. And I didn't want for anything. I was 100% happy. Mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking about the future. I wasn't thinking about past. It just sort of happened. I never forgot it. And I've had a, a number, a string of those kind of moments when I don't want for anything and I'm there. And that is the, that is the state of the world. That is how things are. Everything else is a resistance of that, is a, is a something on top of that. But that is how things are all the time. The lights are always on. But, you know, why is it so easy to forget that? And why is it so hard to get to that place? You want it to last. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't, then there's something wrong. And then we're going to we're going to control and then everything has meaning. So is the place to get back there then what you were saying, which is to embrace that feeling. And that's the road back to it, not fighting it. Yeah. And allow and allow there to be space around it. You know, like what do you mean? What do you mean by that? um, I mean, revel in it. I mean, like, be there. Enjoy it. Don't don't think like I shouldn't be wasting my time in this pile of leaves. I got that thing. Why am I wasting my time? Why why am I here enjoying this walk? I got rent to pay. Well, you're not paying it right now, are you? You're on your walk. Might as well enjoy your walk. When you get back, you can worry about paying the rent. Because because it's going to be there, you know, whatever is is, but it's not happening now. When I I'm here talking to you. I'm sitting on a very comfortable couch talking to a great guy, having a great time. I'm not dying. I'm not, nothing that, I, that I'm projecting in my head is happening. It's not happening now. So why live it? It's not happening now. Yeah. And when I get in the car, I'll be in the car. And then what will happen then will happen then. I want to go uh, shut my dog up. Sure. Can you hear? Can you hear my dog barking? I can, in the background? but what I, but I, what I heard, what I heard. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to embrace my dog barking in the background. 
you embrace your dog and what I'll do is I'm going to take a look at the, the other fears that this woman has and I'm going to actually, uh, and I'm going to see if I can find her number <laughs> because she is somebody that you want to talk to. I, I do. Anybody who can be that open. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, uh, I just love that, that email and anybody out there that's, that's listening. Uh, if you're full of fear, start writing them down and, and email them to me and, uh, and maybe we'll use them on the, on the fear off. I've, I've had a bunch of listeners send me fears and, uh, hopefully I'll, I'll get to them, uh, at some point. I, I can't promise I will, but, um, uh, I just love when the listeners connect to the connect to the show like that. Well, I I look at the website and I think you know people are really they're really connecting and they're getting to talk about stuff that they don't have a place for, and uh, if you're doing that, you're you're doing something great. I mean, I I, I admire what you're doing. Mm-hmm. It's great. Well, thanks, Ed. I, I I appreciate that. Uh, anything you want to share with us before uh, before we wrap it up? Uh, I'm a I'm a size six cocktail dress. I got to get back to my Butterfield eight weight. Um. <laughs> I'm, I have an hourglass figure and time is running out. I'm a lazy Susan of love. I'm the James Brown of depression. I'm the Ken Burns of depression. Uh, I don't know. I guess that's it. I'm a trophy wife. Um, no, I, You're the I, Ken Burns of depression. So when you talk about uh, somebody uh, abusing you as a child, you like to have Louis Armstrong playing in the background. I do. It, it all goes back to Louis Armstrong and the Negro Leagues. Yeah. Baseball in some way. Somebody was done wrong. I know that somebody was done wrong, and, and Louis Armstrong is usually playing in the background. And also, Ken Burns is in my house. He's in my room, and he's actually editing while I'm living. <laughs> but he still has that bowl haircut, doesn't he? He does. He's great. He's a genius. He, re- he really is. Yeah. Uh, Ed Krasnick, I want to thank you for, uh, for coming by. A pleasure. All A right. pleasure. Many thanks to Ed Krasnick for, uh, for being so open and honest and, uh, and so funny. Uh, he has a new show called the Self-Help Comedy Hour. It, it is, uh, streams live every Sunday, and it's archived at wreckingballradio.com. So be sure to check that out. Um, before I, I take it out with uh, a couple of uh, surveys and an email... I want to remind you guys that there's a couple of different ways to support the show. You can support it financially by going to the website mentalpod.com and uh, either making a one-time PayPal donation or my favorite, a recurring monthly donation, which brings me a little closer to my dream of uh, having this be my full-time gig. Uh, You can also support it by using our Amazon uh, search portal. It's on the right-hand side of the homepage, about halfway down. And uh, if you enter through there, anything you buy on Amazon, Amazon gives us a couple nickels. It doesn't cost you anything. Uh, You can also support the show non-financially by going to iTunes, giving us a good rating. Boosts our ranking, brings more people to the show. We like that. And also by spreading the word through social media. So um, I would appreciate anybody doing that. And also, um, if you would care to be a transcriber, We've had a lot of people sign up lately and are busy at work transcribing past episodes. So uh, I want to give a shout out to those people and say uh, thank you so much. Uh, I want to read an, e- an email from a listener named Deckard who writes, uh, I'm a straight male in his late 20s and I have a very close friend who is just four years younger than me. She and I have been close friends for about five years and I think the world of her. We're always hanging out and we will talk for hours every day. I realized a couple of months ago that I had strong romantic feelings for my friend. I found myself thinking about her more and more 
and eventually I decided to tell her how I felt. I've never been more nervous in my entire life. I was literally shaking as I told, which I'm sure was very attractive. Well, I told her how I felt, and she turned me down in the kindest and most mature way possible. She told me that she loved me as a friend, and she stressed that she would want to remain friends, if at all possible. My initial gut reaction was to feel angry and embarrassed. I wanted to hate her for denying me, and I wanted to go make her like me because I deserved it after being alone for so long. This thought lasted about two seconds before I realized that none of that was true. I didn't hate her. I loved her too much for that. I just thought that was so beautiful and mature for somebody in their 20s to be able to come to that intellectually and emotionally. I just thought that was beautiful, so I wanted to share that with you guys. This survey I want to read is from the Shame and Secrets survey, and it was filled out by a woman who calls herself Katie Quixotic. She is straight. She's in her 20s, was raised in an environment that was a little dysfunctional. Um, you ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Uh, some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts as sexual abuse. Uh, dated and regretfully had sex with an 18-year-old when I was only 14. Um, deepest, darkest thoughts? Something attracts me about, quote, being taken care of by a rich older man. That and having really rough sex, slapping a guy across the face, scratching, biting, being tied down, and letting him give me orders. Deepest, darkest secrets. Um, my freshman year of high school when I was 14, I dated an 18-year-old high school dropout loser. I would lie to my parents about where I was going and ride my bike to his house. We engaged in oral sex, dry humping, and after four months, I lost my virginity. It was on his dad's bed, and it only lasted for a few minutes, but it was a defining moment for me. Um, it was a defining moment for the negative self-image I would carry throughout adolescence and early adulthood. I was no longer that bright, cheery, innocent, world-at-her-feet Katie. I was now a different kind of girl. I was damaged. At 25, I want to tell 14-year-old me to go to class, value your mind and your education, ask questions, surround yourself with people who make you feel smart, and encourage you to be better. And lastly, your boundaries and opinions matter because they're yours. I would, I would love to have that put in a, in a textbook that all kids in middle school would would read i don't know if they would listen to it or not because sometimes i think you have to experience those things to to get that kind of perspective but um get so many people that fill the survey out that dated somebody inappropriately older than them when they were 13 14 years old and it and it really has really kind of fucks them up um this is also from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself UGH, U-G-H. He is uh, bisexual. Uh, well, he says bisexual, I don't know. He's in his 20s, was raised in an environment that was pretty dysfunctional, never been sexually abused, deepest, darkest thoughts. I have sexual fantasies where I am a woman, woman parts and all, being dominated by a strong, assertive man. Although I am a progressive person, 
The thought is still deeply troubling. Um, Deepest, darkest secrets. Growing up, I was physically and emotionally abused by a family member. Um, You know, it just occurred to me that uh, have you ever been the victim of sexual abuse? That should really been. Have you ever been the victim of physical, sexual, or emotional abuse? Because they all really kind of have equally negative impact. Um, Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I have a crazy range of sexual fantasies with varying power dynamic dynamics, sexual orientations, and genders, meaning where I am myself, a man, and others where I am a woman. It feels so weird to physically write this out. What the fuck, me? <laughs> I get that uh, when people are filling out the surveys that there is something that happens when you see your words written out that gives you a perspective that is uh, really valuable, I think. Um, but I think he's being way too hard on himself. Uh, would you ever consider telling a partner or close friend? He writes, no. It just feels too bizarre, taboo. Maybe a special partner one day. Did these secrets and thoughts generate any particular feelings towards yourself? He writes, I'm not sure. Part of me weirdly takes pride in my complex sexual identity, as if I'm now more interesting or equally complex. Uh, anyways, I know this isn't the case. Um, any comments or suggestions to make the podcast better? Uh, in capital letters, make it an hour long. I love your podcast, but 90 plus minutes is a killer. Um, I apologize about that. There are people that enjoy the length that it is. And if I could get everything that I wanted to say and have my guest say in an hour... I would have it be an hour, but I can't. And I just want to say that line where you say, part of me weirdly takes pride in my complex sexual identity. Try to make that the the whole you, because I think we are all, like Greg Barrett says, you know, we're all beautiful in some fucked up weird way and I'm not calling you weird but your feelings about yourself you feel like you're weird and I think what is unique about all of us we feel that that makes us weird but it it doesn't it doesn't and I know I'm preaching to the choir out there but I just wanted to send a hug your way um the last thing I want to read is from the happy moments survey and this was filled out by um a guy named Cam, who is gay, and he's in his 20s, was raised in a stable and safe environment, and describe, uh, share one or two of your happiest moments. They don't have to be huge. Um, He writes, there's a lot of backstory here, but for the sake of brevity, I came out as gay to my parents at 19. They took it terribly, rather conservative religious folk. I actively kept my distance for around a year. Things were slowly patched up. On my 20th birthday, I was incredibly down, alone at my apartment, dealing with issues both at college and at work, with no one around that I knew or could talk to in any deep aspect. My mind was in a very scared place in terms of my future. I heard a knock on my door, and to my surprise, it was my mother with a cake and a pint of ice cream and a bundle of balloons. I broke down and cried. We spent the next few hours talking over everything, from my sexuality to my anxieties about my future career to how the family was. 
Just the fact that she drove all the way out to my apartment to make sure I had a good 20th was so incredibly helpful to me. I will never forget it. It sounds childish, but I don't care. I don't think it sounds childish at all. I think it sounds fucking beautiful. And I can never hear enough stuff like that. So, anybody out there that's feeling weird, broken, misfit, whatever whatever word you want to use, wishing that you were different, what would happen if just for the next 24 hours you embraced, you embraced your uniqueness and stopped caring what other people thought of you? Maybe I... <laughs> Maybe I should try doing that. If you're out there and you're alone and you're struggling, you're really not alone because we are everywhere. You may not be able to see it on someone's face, but if we could turn our insides inside out, you would be shocked to see how many people feel just the way that you do. Thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.